Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of the Nature Photographer podcast brought to you by NAMPA and the guys at Wild and Exposed. Tonight we have Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and myself, Dawn Wilson, and we are blessed to have Rick Salmon join us tonight, a super, super great friend of NAMPA as well as to a lot of photographers out there. You, Most people are probably going to be pretty familiar with his name. He's He's been in the industry for nearly 40 years. He's a Canon Explorer of Light. He has published 43 books, and I am sure he still has a few more that he's hoping to, to bring to light and to the shelves of other photographers out there. And he's also a pretty, pretty phenomenal guitar player. And as I just learned tonight, he plays the piano too. So so welcome, Rick. Thank you for joining us. And I'm pretty excited to talk to you about some of the things I've seen you present about over the years. And um, so why don't we jump right in? You're calling You're calling in tonight from New York. Um, so probably by the time this airs, it'll be a little bit warmer, but it is sounds like it's kind of chilly up there right now. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. You know, I love your great organization. I was introduced to it uh, many years ago. I've been following you. Uh, I've been at a couple of the summits, one in the Jackson Hole. And you know what I love about Nampa? And like, and I saw it exhibited at that uh, seminar, the enthusiasm of the photographers. You know, they all have like the latest and greatest gear. That's cool. <laughs> they also love, you know, getting up early, you know. And capturing that you know, that beautiful light, and staying out late, and processing their pictures. And uh, you know, Don Carter's a great friend of mine. Um, we did a little video together, a Kelby One video. We had a battle of the uh, bird photography tips, where I would give a tip like wings up or wings down. He would say, "Well, if the eye's not in focus and well lit, you you missed a shot." And I'd say, "Watch the background." And he would go something like, "Well, use a fast shutter speed." I say, "Use a slow shutter speed." So, anyway, it's a great organization. I'm really happy to uh, be here. Uh, be here tonight, um, and uh, I'm ready to uh, share. Uh, you know, some of my, you mentioned that I have 40 books. I think I, I think you mentioned also I was a Canon Explorer of Light. I think I'm one of the oldest Canon Explorers of Light. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Nothing wrong with that. It's you know the longevity certainly brings a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge and just a lot of things that you can kind of you know say these are great things to prevent that as the things I've seen over the years in photography um, you were mentioning I know you gave a presentation for Nampa just I think it was in, in January you gave a webinar which people can check out on the Nampa website but you talked about the longevity of being in photography and the things that you can do to to help give yourself longevity in photography. One of the great things about being around this long is you've made every possible mistake like every possible mistake, one of which just popped to mind because I saw the picture. One of my salmonisms, I know we talked about this, that I have a lot of these one-line sayings, and one is uh, never take your hand off your tripod. So I'm up in Iceland, and uh, I-, I share my tripod on trips, but I never share my cameras or lenses because I figure something could happen. Someone could drop it by accident. So I'm in Iceland. Someone wants to borrow my uh, my tripod, my really right stuff tripod, because I always say, buy the tallest tripod you know you could afford, right? Because you you want to be up. So someone wanted to borrow my tall tripod. We're photographing these rapids in Iceland by the glacial lagoon, and this I take my camera off, and wind and a strong gust of wind comes up, and it blows my tripod into these rapids. And it's going, and because it's sealed, it's going upside down. So the legs are sticking out of the water as it's going down the rapids, and the ball has smashed and bouncing on the bottom of the rocks. Fortunately, there was this young kid there from Finland who had waders in his uh, in his uh, car because he was fishing. He ran to his car. He puts on the waders. He runs into the rapids, and he rescues my tripod. And I still use it today. <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, I, that's one of the many 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 mistakes that I've learned over the uh, over the years. There was another one that you mentioned about go where you're looking. Yeah, yeah, go where you're looking. <laughs> you know, most people say, look where you're going. So I say, go where you're looking. Basically, I was in Mount Rainier uh, teaching a photo workshop, and I'm walking down the slope. Maybe it was like a 10% grade. I mean, and I just slipped in the mud. I broke my ankle and because I wasn't going where I was looking. 
and it took nine rangers, nine rangers to get me out um, on, on a gurney. It's kind of like a wheelbarrow. And they put you on a gurney, and then they put one wheel on, on the bottom, and they bounce you out. Fortunately, I was only 20 minutes away from the car. The day before, it took them seven hours to get someone out of the park. But anyway, I broke my ankle, uh, and I had a great surgeon, great physical therapy. And just last uh, – Actually, yeah, last week I was up in – I was out at the Mesquite Sand Dunes in Death Valley, and I was able to climb to the tallest sand dune there with uh, with no problem. So one of the reasons why I was able to do that is because I was healthy going in. So I try to stay as healthy as possible. I eat health. This is really important for photographers. You have to be healthy. You have to be able to, you know, run around fast, you know, as the light changes, like in the morning, right? And you have to go where you're looking, of course. But you have to be healthy. You have to be fit because just being healthy and fit is like insurance against if something happens, like you break your ankle, right, or break something. You're just going to heal much, much faster. I think we can definitely all all appreciate that and how much it takes to carry heavy gear around and get to where you want to go, you know, within a timely manner. Well, I know I, many years ago, I used to ride horses and it was the same, the instructor used to say, the, the trainer used to say the same thing. She said, never look at the ground because that's where you'll wind up. Right, it's kind of, right. That's I good guess advice. If you're, mm-hmm, no, that, if you're walking across rocks, it's uh, going to be the same, same situation. If you keep looking, you know, you have to look where you, if you look where you're going you could potentially put yourself in a tough spot. So, yeah, you want to – Definitely. How was it? You Go where you are looking. Yeah, yeah. Go where you're looking. I'm going to add to your tripod one. Sure. And add never put your tripod behind you. And it doesn't matter if it's behind your person <laughs> or behind your vehicle. Don't ever Your vehicle. I've been there. Yeah, always to the side. Yeah. Yeah, I have pictures of tripods lying on the ground behind vehicles. I actually have that. Uh so yeah, I, I've seen a lot of mistakes. I've learned a lot of stuff, and I've met so many great people. I, don't you think that's one of the great things about Nampa? Uh, you know, the the people you meet. You know, you like minded people. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, what background you come from. You know, what you believe in this or that, or blah blah blah. Especially in these controversial times, you just show up, and you all have something in common that you could all really share and grow with. And you know, I find I, I learned so much. One of the reasons why I love doing workshops is I learn from, I'm I learned from you know not only photo techniques but I also learned processing techniques. You know, Lightroom and Photoshop. You know, there's so much to know. We'll be having a processing session. And I'll be going around, and I'll say, well, why don't we do this? And, I, and then someone will say, well, you know, here's how I do it. I say, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, as quickly as those programs are changing, there's always new tricks of the trade uh, and different shortcuts that a person can take to, to get to the end product. I agree. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm a big believer in that. You know, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm working on, on something right now, and I'm talking about how much you can enhance a, a picture. Right. So you take like a flat picture and you enhance it. And one of the things I like to do, like with the landscape picture, like I'm looking at Jason's picture behind him. I, I know the members, uh, the listeners can't see this, but he has a nice picture. Uh, it's, it looks small. Is it an elk, a deer? It's a deer, a mule deer. It's a yep. mule deer. So here's a mule deer. Okay, so it's on the wall there, and it's framed uh, beautifully. Actually, it's in a nice frame, but <laughs> composition-wise, it's very nice. And so what I like to do when I see a picture – like that, I'll take my my you know I'll, I'll I might convert it to black and white first or whatever or adjust the levels. But then what I'll do, and I do this with almost all my pictures. I say think like a painter. I'll take my dodge tool and my burn tool, and I'll just add a little highlights to maybe this part of the frame or dodge this part of the frame. We were just out in Zion National Park after we went to Death Valley, and I have this picture. Or these rocks are in the foreground, and the light was very flat. But just by taking the dodge tool and lightening the rocks, the rocks like came alive. So thinking like a painter and selectively doing this, and I do it randomly. You know, you're kind of creating like the, the effect of like there's like opening in the clouds and the light shining. And I have a lot of before and after examples of this. And the difference is amazing. Just by taking like maybe 10 minutes, burning and dodging, burning and dodging, and a little highlights and shadows. So what I'm saying is when I'm when I'm working in uh, Photoshop, and I use Photoshop more than Lightroom, probably to a lot of people's surprise, but you could do the same thing in Lightroom. Uh, I say don't think um, globally. 
In other words, don't make the whole thing brighter. Don't make the whole thing darker. Don't insaturate the whole thing. You know, think selectively and use those tools to really create the image that you see, you know, in your mind's eye. And you know, Ansel, this is what Ansel Adams did. You know, first of all, he was the first HDR photographer, right before HDR even had a name. His uh, Moonrise over Hernandez is a great example of that, and he spent, you know. Uh, you know, months, weeks, months, sometimes years. I think he said a picture was never finished. Um, actually, he also said, I think, a picture's not done until you darken the edges, which is another good uh, tip. <laughs> yeah, that's something I've been working on more with mine. And it's amazing how that really gets people to, it helps people's eyes focus right into the subject, right into to where you want them to, to see that story. Well, you just said two things that are very important. If someone's driving around in the car, they might have missed it. But you said see and story. Those two words, I think, are really important. You really want people to, you know, as Ansel Adams said, look into a picture and not look at a picture. So seeing is important. And the story, that's the main thing, right? It's not how many megapixels you have. It's not how sharp, you know, the picture is if you zoom in like 800%. It's really that story that... And the mood and the feeling, I always say, you know, one of my salmonisms, mood matters most. All this other stuff doesn't matter. It's, uh, and it's the same thing in music. You know, you could have uh, Eric Clap, you could have um, Eric Clapton or Santana driving around in a Volkswagen bus with an acoustic guitar and recording on an iPhone, and it would sound great because the mood, I'm sure, would be great. You know, it's not a, a $50,000 recording studio. But it is the mood, it's the feeling. And I like that, again, getting back to that picture behind Jason, I like the way, the mood and the feeling of that because the background of the subject is uh, darker and the foreground is uh, is lighter. So thanks. Nice, yeah, you have another sound. Nice thanks, first. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> I also Is that a wood frame around it too? Yeah, it's a barn wood frame, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah, I noticed these things. I'm looking into the picture. <laughs> so you have another salmonism, Rick, that is uh, light illuminates, shadows define, but it's along those same lines of how you get people to see the story within an image. And it's within the image, not necessarily at the image. Yeah, it is. You know, shadows, uh, we were just out in Death Valley and and, uh, and we were there like really uh, early in the morning, late in the afternoon. And that usually a lot of people don't like harsh light. And the harsh light created these super dramatic shadows. Um, actually, I, I have this uh, series it's called On the Road with Rick. And if you just go to ricksalmon.com, all these videos are there. And the last one was Death Valley. Uh, well, I mean, the one I just published, one before that was Wakota Hatchie. You guys ever been to Wakota Hatchie? Wildlife? Okay, well, Wakota... First of all, it took me years how to say, learn how to say Wakota Hatchie. It's Wakota Hatchie Wetlands. It's in Delray Beach, Florida. I got amazing pictures there because there's just so many birds. I mean, there, there's hundreds and hundreds of birds of the spoonbills, uh, uh, great blue herons. Uh, you know, I, I could go on and on. But anyway, with these on the road, the Rick, uh, if people want to see some of these Death Valley pictures, if they go ricksalmon.com and click on the first video there, uh, you'll see how these dramatic shadows really created a mood. Yet, we're at another place called Zabriskie Point about an hour before sunrise, and the light was just so soft and so beautiful. So it's really the mood and the feeling that we, want, that we try to capture, I think, as, uh, as nature photographers. But you had referenced Ansel Adams before. One of your salmonisms also, you know, is a, a paraphrase of something he used to say as well. Make images, don't take images. Yeah, well. Or make, well, a, make a picture, don't take a picture. So be thoughtful in the way that you're approaching yeah, that image. Yeah, and you can make that just simply by moving. Another salmonism that relates to that is use your camera like a spaceship. You know, we were talking about tripods. How many times have you seen people on a workshop, the first day they show up and they're photographing whatever's a brisky point, and everyone sets up their camera on eye level, right? So what I say, use your camera like a spaceship. Move it up and move it down and, you know, move it left and move it right. I guess I should update that <laughs> to, to use your camera like a drone, right? I guess spaceship. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe with Elon Musk, the spaceship thing still applies. But, you know, just moving, moving up and down a little, 
makes so much difference, right? You you move down to the ground, you get a foreground element there. You use a small aperture, wide angle lens, focus one third into the scene, or use focus stacking uh, to get everything in focus. You know that makes a big difference than just being up three feet. So I I encourage people to use use your camera like a spaceship. Don't don't get locked in, and you know with the the cameras today. You know, the, 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 the dynamic range that the cameras uh, have, the low noise that the sensors have, and the denoise that's available, like with Topaz denoise, I'm finding I'm using a, a tripod less and less. You know, we, we were photographing in Bosque in the morning, you know, at ISO 10,000 without a tripod. <laughs> we got, you guys use Topaz denoise? Mm -hmm. No, is that amazing? Yes. Great piece of software. I Absolutely. Love that software. That and, and sharpener. So for bird photographers, for your for the members who are bird photographers, you know, you don't always get the sharper shot. And sometimes you don't want the sharper shot, right? Sometimes a little bit of blur. Uh, do you guys know Denise Denise Cipollito? I know who she yeah, is. Yeah, she's a, she's the master of beautiful artistic blurred shots, of blurred bird pictures. Yeah, intentional. Yeah, yeah. Intentional camera movement is her. No, thing. she's amazing, but she also gets tack sharp shots. But um, what I'm saying is, uh, for people who miss that, maybe they use just a little bit of a, too, a slow shutter speed. Uh, that's uh, you know too much blur, or you get a little too much noise. The Topaz stuff is just uh, just amazing, and I'm surprised like uh, Dolby doesn't. Is is not up to par with that, you know. They're yeah, working they on be. it. I think they're using some some AI now. Yeah, but Topaz tends to be, or it's kind of like Sony. They're staying ahead of everybody with the mirrorless, but there are certainly people that are making strong, strong moves to catch up, or maybe pass them at certain points. Yeah, I think On One has a has a denoise now too. But the, but the, and some of the newest features, the masking that just came out, or I guess it's been out for a little while within Topaz, is unbelievable and how you can selectively change things now. Well, actually, that is amazing. And getting back to uh, uh, Photoshop, the masking, you know, that object selecting, uh, object selection. If you uh, if you know what you're doing and you adjust the tolerance, that's uh, up at the top on the uh, on the uh, options bar. It's amazing what what we can do today. It's just, and, you know, getting back to the cameras, you know, I was at Bosque, and my wife said, these are the best pictures you ever got. I've been there three times. I said, well, the R3, the Canon R3 had something to do with it. It has animal tracking, eye detection. I mean, 30 frames per second, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's, I was going to say it's kind of like cheating, but it's just so much easier, right? Imagine film photographers, yeah. It is like cheating. I, yeah. I would agree with that. I often feel that way. It's like it really takes a lot of the guesswork and the thought out of shooting sometimes, you know. Well, especially with birds, right, Jason? Right, I mean, yeah, yeah. When that little bit of gesture of the wings or the beak or the mouth or the eye, whatever. Right. So, yeah, the, the animal tracking and the 30 frames per second is amazing. Yeah. But we'll, but we'll take it. Sorry. Sorry, Ron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Rick, with the, I mean, you've been around the industry for a long, you know, for four decades. So you've seen a lot of things change, not only in the, the technology in the camera bodies themselves, yeah. but the technology that we're just talking about with the software. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself, you know, before it was probably 80% in camera, maybe 20% in post. Do you find yourself evening that out now or spending more time in post? Uh, with the technology that's available? Well, I, to answer that question, uh, Ron, I have a T-shirt, and I wear it on the workshops because I ask, get asked a lot of questions, you know, what what aperture, what shutter speed, and the T-shirt says it depends on it. <laughs> because no matter what question I get asked about whatever, it de it depends. So it really depends on the picture. If the picture needs some work, uh, I will spend, you know, time, you know, burning and dodging and this and that and correcting and sharpening or, or whatever, right? But if I get it right on camera, I don't have to spend too much time. Like in Bosque, I was lucky we had beautiful light. I didn't have to spend uh, too much time. But it depends is uh, – <laughs> I wore that when I saw my <laughs> – 
my cardiologist, and he loved it. So I gave it. I gave him one of the shirts, and I also gave one to my uh, to the to the surgeon who uh, who fixed my broken ankle because she gets asked all the time, "How long before I can walk?" It depends, right? Will it will it, it hurt? Will it hurt? You know, uh, do I need the screws taken out? It depends. So it, it sounds funny, and sometimes on the workshops people get tired of hearing it. But seriously, it, it when people ask me, you know, they say. Basically, a lot of times they say, hey, Rick, what's your ref stop? Meaning, what, what are my settings, right? What's the ISO? What's the, uh, the shutter speed? And, uh, and what's the aperture? So when they ask me that question, hey, Rick, what's your ref stop? I say, hey, what's your creative vision? Because that creative vision depends on, like we were talking about Denise Ippolito. She would say, well, it depends. If you want to blur the wings a little, Maybe rather than using a two thousandth of a second shutter speed, use a five hundredth of a second shutter speed. If you want less in focus, do this, and if you want to, you know, whatever. So I think rather than thinking about the settings, the first question people should say, "What's my creative vision?" Getting back to what Dawn said, you know, what story? What story do I want this picture to uh, convey, and what mood and emotion? You know, anyone can play the same notes at. Santana can play not as fast, <laughs> and then not as with which much, and maybe not as uh, with much feeling. But you know, it's all there's only you know, it's an octave, right? It's eight notes in the octave. Everyone plays the same notes, so it's it's what we get out of it's, it's what we do with our camera settings. It's what we do with uh, with the music, uh, with, with the notes in an octave that really helps us tell, as Dawn was saying, our story. Yeah, we we've come to find that. It depends. It's kind of a model for the Wild and Exposed team too. It's kind of, you know, we get last we get asked a lot of questions, and almost every time the answer is just as you said. It depends. You know, you know getting getting back to Jason, your picture in the back. You know, if someone said, you know, what what, what aperture, what lens did you use for that? Uh, you know, the unless someone knew how far away you were standing from that that beautiful animal, you know, that that would change, right? Right, your aperture changes. Your your shutters. You know, if you're using a you know a 600 millimeter lens <laughs> with a 2x converter, you're going to use a faster shutter speed. <laughs> you know, if you're trying to handle it or whatever, then if you're using a in low light, then if it's bright light, right? So it, I I really encourage people to think about their creative vision, and I also have speaking of that, I have uh, what I call my one picture promise. And what my one picture promises is this, that if you're in a situation, if you could say to yourself, if I could only take one picture, what would that one picture be? Meaning, what what aperture, what shutter speed, you know, what ISO. If I could only take one picture, what would that one picture be? I promise you, this is why it's my one picture promise, I promise you that you get a higher percentage of uh, creative pictures uh, and, fewer, and fewer outtakes. Now, getting back to Bosque, some people might be saying, well, he's saying he's shooting at 30 frames per second. He's shooting all over the place. What does he mean take only one picture? Well, if I'm trying to get a picture of of uh, Sandhill Crane taking off, you know, backlit, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, against the sun, right? And it's a distracting background. I'm still thinking about the one picture that's going to come out of that frame, that, that sequence. So that one picture promise does uh, does seem to work on the workshops. People stop, uh, you know, I have OCD. As some listeners may have uh, detected already, <laughs> you know there are two types. Of, actually, there are a few types of uh, OCD. Uh, what I have is obsessive cropping disorder. <laughs> so it's the first. You know, cropping gives us a second chance at at composition. It does. I know some wildlife photographers who are totally against cropping. Well, Jason, if I was at that scene and I only had a 24-millimeter lens and you got that, I don't know what lens you took that with, a telephoto lens, I'd have to crop it. So that's one type of OCD. But the one type of OCD that drives me crazy, uh, and we were in Africa, we were watching this, and uh, the other type of OCD is obsessive clicking disorder. Where people just click, you know, it's not shooting at thirty frames a second. It's just clicking at everything, right? Just click, click. I got to take a million pictures, <laughs> right? So the, these these are the types of OCD that I, I think about when I'm teaching a workshop. Yeah, I like it. That's I funny. I've I've been caught in that. I've been caught in all of those 
OCD elements more than once. So <laughs> yeah, well, no cropping. I think I have a friend, um, uh, Gary Potts. He came on a workshop, and I, the first day in the workshop, I always ask people, "What's your goal?" And they have different goals. I want to get you know tight shots. I want to learn more about Photoshop, a Lightroom. And he said, uh, my goal is to make an image with impact. And I think this was really a noble goal. I had never heard this before, you know, that he, that he, his goal was to make images with impact. And we're looking through his pictures after he took them. And there's a lot of ways to make an image with impact, like in uh, black and white, contrast is king. Usually like boosting the contrast, you know, helps you get that image with impact. But cropping can, can uh, help us create that image with uh, impact. So that's another thing maybe the listeners want to think about. How can I, you know, setting a goal. Setting a goal in life is important. Setting a goal in, uh, in our photography is very, very important. Because if we don't set a goal, how do we know where we're going? I think goals are super important. I've even told people, go out with a shot list. You know, it might be a mental shot list, but go out with a shot list. You know, have an idea of what you're focusing on. And you know, it really helps you to be much more mindful when you are out there to make the best use of your time. If it's a limited trip, you might only have so much time. You might only have one sunrise opportunity. It's really be be targeted. Be targeted. Be focused, and, and have that have that goal. Setting goals is is just super important. My son is very uh, uh, goal oriented. He set goals to be the valedictorian in high school. Got it. He set a goal to uh, get his PhD. He got it. He set a goal to get a job at a Harvard Business School, and he got it. He just he just landed it actually last year. So anyway, setting goals is really important. I'm all about goals. Actually, our, our last episode was just about goals. <laughs> well, rather than resolutions for the year, it's setting some goals, some more specific targets. Mm -hmm. And I think being realistic, right? I, I I think being realistic about what we can uh, what we can uh, accomplish, you know, uh, in in our photography. Some things some goals are probably unattainable. You know, I, I just saw a picture by Art Wolf today of a bear. Uh, I think it was his best shots ever. A bear. I'm sure we've all seen a, a million pictures of bears running, you know, in Alaska or, or wherever, you know, running right towards the camera. Well, this is the best shot. The very, I mean, all the bears' claws were out. I mean, they were all out. And the bears looking right at the camera. And so Art said, Art's a big goal setter. He's also the hardest working guy. I thought I was hardworking. This guy, he's always, he's working on like seven books at one time, which is, I think, really, he might go to like Kenya, but he'll be working on a wildlife book. He'll be working on a, on a, on a, on a scenery book, could be working on you know some kind of inspirational book, could be working on a patterns book. Um, so he sets a lot of goals at the same time, and he's able to. Uh, he's one of my photo heroes for sure. And I think it's important to have heroes to people to look up to. Well, a lot like Art Wolf, you are very well traveled. You've had the the opportunity to get a lot of places on the planet. Where's your Where's your favorite location that you've ever shot, or what, or We'll take a page out of the Wild and Exposed question book. And what's your favorite outdoor experience? Well, I would say being in South Georgia Island, you know, by Antarctica, relatively speaking, by, by Antarctica. This is amazing. When you're, when you're there um, in colonies and you could see tens of thousands of king penguins. I've seen emperor penguins in Snow Hill Island in Antarctica, which were amazing. But I'd say South Georgia, and you have the leopard seal. You have uh, the leopard seals swimming around. You have, you know, the albatrosses. You have uh, the elephant seals. You have, you know, so much wildlife there. I would say South Georgia is is amazing. It, it's not easy to get to, right? So I would say that was. That might be that might be one of my favorite experiences. But they're all good, like being you know the po polar bears in Churchill were amazing. Uh, Africa, Kenya, Kenya and Botswana. You know, we saw so many leopards in Botswana. There's just so many places to go. But you know about that, people say, "Oh, what's your favorite place?" And I might say, "Oh, Botswana. I got got amazing pictures of um, or Kenya." Well, once my wife and I went to Kenya uh, about uh, actually it was 2014, 
And for the first four days, it was amazing. I, I couldn't believe how many pictures we were getting. I was downloading like to late at night, going through, trying to pick my best pictures. I never go to sleep without picking, picking my best pictures from the day. So that was the first four days. Second four days, we saw nothing. I don't know what happened to the animals. They were like sleeping, they were gone, whatever. So luck, you know, getting back to Art Wolf, there was a little, a little bit of luck, you know, with him getting the bear with the claws out coming right towards him. But he was prepared. Sometimes you don't see, uh, you don't see, uh, see, uh, you know, what you think you're going to see. Getting back to the uh, the polar bears in Churchill, I was up there for five days. Five days, you know, going around to those tundra buggies, which are like big school buses. We're going around. And for those first four days, it was a total whiteout. I couldn't see anything. The last day the sun came out. So I got six pictures. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not easy having fun. That's another one of my salmonisms. It's hard work, right? <laughs> Jason likes that when I see him laughing. Yeah, I like all of them so hard far. Work, matter of like. fact, oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, yeah, I was gonna, I'm sorry, Ron. I was going to ask you, Rick, if most of your salmonisms are coming from mistakes and or experience, it sounds like, which is kind of just kind of fun. And you, it seems like you have quite the list, which is also kind of fun. But. Yeah, yeah, I have a long list. I have a Kelby One class on salmonisms, and I'm working on one now, salmonisms for uh, landscape photographers. Like uh, one is uh, shooting into the sun is kind of fun. Well, it's kind of fun if you if your lens is like totally clean. And you have, as you guys know, if you have like a dot uh, on your lens, that's going to be a big blob in your picture. So one of the salmonisms for landscape photographers is uh, is keep it clean, right? You got actually, actually, I have that class right up here. That I'm working on. It. I'm looking for some of the some of the other ones. Uh, oh, here's a great one. Uh, I don't want to say it's great. <laughs> I'll just say, uh, I like it. It says, rea rea reality leaves a lot to the imagination. So actually, it's a John, I, I borrowed some of these salmonisms, but uh, that's a great one. Reality leaves a lot to the imagination. So um, look at Ansel Adams, getting back to Moonrise over Hernandez, getting back to his half dome picture. And I have a story that goes along with this. You guys know, John, know of John Sexton, one of Ansel Adams' assistants? Mm -hmm. Well, I was teaching a, a seminar with him, and he's telling all these Ansel Adams stories, which is wonderful. So here's one story, which gets back to this reality, leaves a lot to the imagination. <clears throat> here's a story. So someone on the East Coast writes Ansel Adams a letter on the West Coast. This is before computers, right? And he's a little unhappy with Ansel Adams. Can you imagine being unhappy with Ansel Adams? So he says, Dear Mr. Adams, I have your posters. I have your prints. I have one of your prints. I have uh, I have your books. You know, his two books are, uh, well, he wrote a few books, but my favorites are the print and the negative. And I still have them in my bookshelf behind there. And I look at them from time to time. So he says, Dear Mr. Adams, you know, I have your posters. I have a print. I have your books. You inspired me to go to Yosemite. And when I got there, it didn't look like that. Right? Because it doesn't look like that. So when I say reality leaves a lot to the imagination, I process some pictures and it's, it, I say think like an artist. You know, and 10 years ago, I was totally against sky replacements. And I don't know how Nampa feels about replacing the sky. Maybe, maybe if there's a competition, you shouldn't, you, could, you shouldn't do it. And if you're working for National Geographic, you shouldn't do it. But heck, if you just want to have fun, Replace the sky. Think like an artist. Have fun. Everyone who's listening, I'd like to ask them a question. Why did you get into photography? My guess is not that it wasn't originally to make money. It's to have fun. And all these things, the plugins, um, all the apps like Distressed FX I like to use, uh, Snapseed, all these, you know, I take my pictures with my, with, my, uh, with my digital SLRs. Well, I got rid of them because I'm totally mirrorless now. And uh, I bring them into Snapseed and I have fun creating, you know, what pictures that to me look kind of artistic. Well, I'm sure you've had, I'm sure you've had groups out in the field where you can have a group of six or 10 people every single one of them can take a different photo even though they're standing in front of the same scene well yeah that's what that's what's amazing that's what's usually amazing they could especially when it comes to wildlife uh, people could take a slightly different picture that changes like you said Dawn, the, the the mood and the feeling and that's what's great about photography right we, we can still be original you know 
There's so many ways to be original out there with, with what is available today, whether it's equipment or software or just personal vision. Yeah. So I was just looking at some of the other salmonisms. The name of the game is to fill the frame. Dead center is deadly. You have so many great tips, well, then, just quick little tips that stick in your brain. Yeah, well, they're... Uh... Name of the game is to fill the frame, getting back if you want to make an image with impact. But the one after that, it might come to one class, is negative space is nice, <laughs> right? Because negative, there's a lot to be said for, for negative space. And dead center usually is deadly, but sometimes, you know, if you're taking a flower picture or if you're taking a picture of a deer in a field, uh, if it's slightly off center, that, could, that picture could have some impact. So all, everything's, my father had a great saying, uh, everything's relative, Right. And another one he had to each his own. And this is why I don't judge photo contests. Because uh it's really it's really what what we like. You know? Like I like all kinds of music except opera. So <laughs> if I'm judging like a musical competition and there's opera in there, I'm not gonna get you know, I, I can't say anything about opera. And unless you know what the person's trying to say or or what the context is, you know, there's an expression uh, every photograph is a lie, right? And I there's there's some truth to that because if you, you could take a a close up picture of a leopard in uh, in Botswana, right, and fill the frame, and you could take a close up picture of a leopard at the uh, at the Bronx Zoo and fill the frame, you probably couldn't tell the difference, right? If the light is soft and you blur the background, so we're creating our own reality. Um, by simply by what to include, you know, uh, photography is a subtractive, uh, where we subtract what we don't want in it. Whereas painting is additive, so we're telling we're telling our stories, and this is really true with photojournalism too, right? You go to a photographer goes to a war zone, and depending how wide or tight they shoot it, it tells can tell a totally different story. I think it's okay to have fun and. You know, another one that I like to use a lot is rules are meant to be broken, you know, and I think if you're being creative and sometimes you try things and it works and sometimes you try things and it doesn't work, you know, and those rules are really shouldn't be called rules. They should be called guidelines, you know, and then you should try to figure out ways to break those guidelines down and, you know, make something your own. So I like that. Jason, I'm laughing because that reminded me of something. I agree 100 percent that the, you know, rules are meant to be broken and. I think it was Cartier Bresson or someone said something like that because someone asked him about the rules of photography. He said something, I think it was him. Uh, maybe one of your listeners can uh, chime in after when this airs and send me a note if it wasn't it. But the, the saying goes something like, considering the rules of composition before you take a photograph is like considering the rules of gravity, the rule of gravity before you go for a walk, <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't think about it. Just do it, right? You don't say, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. Gravity's going to pull me down, you know? Finding what's pleasing to the eye and sometimes sometimes even the image in the image, um, like you've talked about with, with cropping, finding the, the picture in the picture well, kind of thing is, is something that people need to focus on. Well, someone said, I forget who it was. Maybe it was Art Wolf. He said there's five pictures within a picture. Like I could, getting back to Jason's picture with them, I'm sure the listeners have an idea of, you know, there's one picture I see of, of, the, of the deer in the field. I see another picture, just a tight headshot, right? I, I see another picture cropped vertically for the cover of a magazine. So I see three like right away. So I think this is a good, you talked about Dawn setting goals. Set a goal, go back to some of your old pictures, try to find five pictures within that picture that work, which brings me to just a technical point. Always shoot at the lowest ISO to get the cleanest possible shot. So you can, uh, even though we have Topaz makes gigapixels and you could upsize images in Photoshop and Lightroom and all that stuff, um, Shooting at the lowest possible ISO gives you the cleanest picture, so you can not only find the pictures within the picture, but then you can, uh, you can, uh, you know, make a, a decent enlargement. And you know, I, I just one other thing because I know we're getting near the end here. Uh, one of my other uh, uh, philosophies is it's from Groucho Marx, and he said, "If you're not having fun, you're doing something wrong." And this is my philosophy. You know, I, I, I'll replace the sky. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll go out there. We'll, um, we'll, we'll shoot late. We'll get up early. I'll tell the students you can sleep when you're dead. 
right? So I think having fun, uh, Freeman Patterson has a great, uh, one of my photo heroes from Canada, he has a great expression. It's uh, uh, that the, the camera looks both ways. You know, in picturing the subjects, you're also picturing a part of yourself. So if that fun, I think, is is reflected in your pictures, whether it, you know, especially with people pictures, but also in your landscape pictures. You know, people, I think, can, can your, your pictures are like a mirror of yourself, you know, you know. You know, if Jason had well, a picture, sorry, if Jason had a picture of a disco dancer behind him, you know, with uh, bright lights shining on her and a shot of slow shutter speed, I, I know he, you know, that would be a different reflection. But just looking at that, I know this guy uh, really loves wildlife enough to frame one of his pictures and put it on on the wall. Well, if you think of how many people are taking photos these days, too, it, you know, there used to be a set of, you know, when we're talking about rules, you know, you didn't. You didn't do backlight. You didn't, you know, have different apertures. You know, there there was a thousand different things that you know I remember hearing you don't do, mm -hmm. but nowadays because there are so many photos being taken, you almost have to go to those things you didn't do to make more creative imagery. Oh yeah, one one of my seminars is exposed for the highlights, but I go through uh, fashion magazines just to get ideas, um, you know, for photography, and I see you know the highlights in the background are like. I'm exaggerating, like 11 stops overexposed, so the model stands out, you know? So, yeah, I think breaking the rules and, and having fun and following your creative vision. But, it, you know, this is, I, I really would encourage listeners to uh, not only uh, keep their membership up, membership up with uh, Nampa, but encourage their friends to join because shooting with other people, hanging out with other people, learning a lot, and you know, sitting around. I think some of the most fun times I've had, like at the uh, at the Nampa Summit in uh, in Jackson Hole, was at dinners, right? Just sitting around talking to the people. Hey, where did you go? What what's your favorite spot? You know, what are you doing in in Photoshop? You know, what was your like you said? What was your best experience? What was your worst experience? Uh, I think the camaraderie that a group like Nampa offers is just uh, is just cool. So I'm proud to be uh, a member and a part of it. And I think next year I might be getting more involved. Well, that would be that would be great. And I agree with you about you know with everything happening with the pandemic. I think so many of us have have really missed the interaction that we have with people. And when this airs, it'll air shortly after our virtual summit that we'll have this year. But next year is going to be our first in-person summit again. We're going to hold that in May, early May, twenty twenty-three in Tucson. So that will it'll be the first time I think in four years since we'll have a big group of people back together and like you said it's it's getting together over you know a glass of wine or a, you know a, a beer and just sitting and chatting and catching up with everyone. Well, you just said the magic words. I'm going to be there, beer and wine. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Forget about the, uh, the the tripods with the ball heads and the gimbal heads and uh, <laughs> and all this other stuff. So the beer and the wine. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be, it's, it's definitely been tough to, I, I know we all see people that we, you know, that are in our own circles, but it's, it's been tough not to get to, to meet new people and to, you know, connect with people that maybe you've been meeting, we've been meeting online over the, the last couple of years. Well, uh, in addition to my salmonisms, I'm big on quotes. And uh, one of my favorite quotes relating to exactly what you just said is uh, this quote. Uh, the quote goes like this, um, you don't drown by falling in water, you only drown if you stay there. Now that sounds funny, right? But it's true. And during the pandemic, I know a lot of people who were drowning, they had to close their studio, this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And I said to myself, because they used to do a lot of workshops, I said, I'm, I'm not. I'm going to get out of the water. I, I'm and I'm, I printed that sign. I have a vision board. You know, a vision board is you put ideas and pictures up on a, on a board. And to tell you the truth, I've never been more productive in my life. I wrote three books uh, during the pandemic. How to make money when you're sleeping is my last one, and I recorded uh, twelve Kelby One classes. Uh, and I, did, I got better at bass guitar. So anyway, I, I I think our mindset, getting back to what you said, I set goals. I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write another book. I'm going to write another book. Uh, and, and on that note, people might be saying, oh, I'd love to write a book, but I don't know where to start. Well, the secret to all my picture books are basically they're pictures with captions. 
So getting back to Jason's photograph, he's the only one with photographs in the background, which is why I keep uh, relating to it. You know, take a photograph like that and write a caption to it, you know, and you could do, you know, deer in the wild, you know, talk about the experience. That's one caption. You could write about, you know, how you took the picture. You could talk about, you know, how, how you frame the picture. So all my books are pictures and captions. And if the, your listeners start writing captions for photographs, then try to put them into chapters. And the benefit to that is, well, if this picture doesn't work in this chapter, I'll put it in this chapter. So in 38 of my books, they're all pictures with long captions. That's all they are. And because it wants to read through, you know, thousands of words saying, okay, look at this picture on page 57 and the, and the text is on page, you know, you know, 51. So writing a caption, there's another advantage to that. It, it helps you, getting back to what you said, Dawn, it helps you think about what your picture is saying. And if you can't write a caption for a picture, perhaps, I'll follow this up in a second, perhaps your picture's not saying anything. Now, that being said, Beethoven wrote Moonlight Sonata, right, which sounds like the you know you could vision the moonlight. So that was a great caption for his piece, but he also wrote like Opus 32, right? So he couldn't think of a caption, so he just said Opus 32 or whatever, maybe Opus 57, I'm not sure. But writing the caption, trying to say, okay, what, what am I trying to say? And this could help you in the future too. I talk about something called photo cross training, what you learn in one area you can apply to another area. Like I'm looking at, for the listeners, I'm looking at Dawn right now, and she's standing out in the frame because the background is darker than her. So if you're out photographing and the background isn't darker than the subject, you could, you know, burn, you could, you could burn in the background to make the subject stand out. So there you learn something about a, a person as opposed, and then translate that to photographing you know, wildlife, or I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at Iran there. And he has, there's like a horizon line. Uh, that is, I don't know if it's a couch behind you or whatever. Is that a couch? <laughs> no, it's my acoustic, it's acoustic panel. Oh, it's acoustic panels. Okay, so, they, supposed to be, so they're yeah. dividing the frame. So we can look at the picture of Ron and say, hey, how is that? And it's a lower third. So actually his frame, into, that's the lower third. There's a middle third and a top third. We could say, hey, that's if Ron likes that composition, maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out, I'm going to comp compose a landscape like that. So in addition to writing the caption, think about, this photo cross training. I learned something here. How can I apply it here? Which is the same thing in music. What you learn in, in rock, you could apply to jazz, just changing it a little bit or a lot. <laughs> you had mentioned a little bit about your books, and that's probably a good segue, you know, as we kind of get get closer to the end of this, about about your, la your latest book, which is called How to Make Money when, While You're Sleeping, if I have the title correctly. But there is a quote in the beginning of that book that I really, really like from your son, Marco, that says, Dad, you're not only a photographer, but you're also an entrepreneur who happens to be a photographer. And it is so true. Yeah, we're at a... I, mean, I think I think Ron, Jason, I can probably agree to this, that probably one of the most asked questions that these guys see on the podcast is, how do you make how do you make a living doing this? It's I see it a lot. I see it a lot within Nampa. Every uh, photographer I know, successful photographer, is an excellent business person. And Marco saw me as I was growing up. He knew I wasn't just out, hey, I'm taking a nice sunset. I, you know, I'm not taking a picture of a beautiful bird in the backyard or, you know, I'm going to Africa and I'm take, or Antarctica and taking pictures. He saw I worked my – I'm going to have to cut out that word. <laughs> I, I, I work – I worked my butt off um, on the business side. He would see me over here early in the – we have an office next to the house where I am now. He would see me over here working in the morning, working in the afternoon, doing all, all the stuff. Um, another one of my father's uh, expressions was you have to do what you don't want to do to do the things you want to do. So And I did a lot of – and I still do a lot. But So he saw me working, so he realized that the reason um, – I'm able to do what I want to do is because I try to have a lot of different things going. But I got the title for that book, How to Make Money While You're Sleeping, actually from a Warren Buffett quote, uh, which I saw on Twitter. And his quote is, if you don't learn, if you don't know, learn how to make money when you're sleeping, you're going to work until you're dead. So the first chapter in that book is about affiliate programs where 
you know, Adorama, all the other camera stores, Amazon, uh, the software companies we talked about, Topaz before, they all have affiliate programs. Topaz actually has a very good one. I think they give you 30% of a sale. Amazon has an unbelievable affiliate program where if someone orders, say I'm promoting something and I mention you know, Canon Lens. If people buy, and I see this because you don't see the names, but you see what else they buy because people want free shipping, you know, nail polish, radiator hoses I see. So people buy my book, then they'll buy nail polish, radiator hoses, a flat screen TV. The funniest one was, <clears throat> and you get commissions on all of this stuff, right? That's an affiliate program. And you get paid every month. Uh, the funniest one was I got a commission on a rubber ducky nativity set. So it was a nativity set with rubber duckies. So it's they don't tell you the names, but they show you what people bought and your percentage of it. And what's cool is some people don't want it right away. They put it in their cart, okay, on Amazon. So whatever's in their cart at the end when they order it, you get a commission on it. So I'm big on when I post something, and I encourage you to listen to that, look into the affiliate programs for the camera stores, for the software, for, for Amazon, for for whatever, right? Uh, if, if you're doing a post on wildlife photography, put in the, uh, for gloves and, and uh, hats and shoes and put links. And, you, and all these, my father, the other, another expression, I mentioned it to you guys before, it takes a lot of peanuts to feed an elephant. All these peanuts add up. And I know, I know one person who makes a living on affiliate programs. And I know a wildlife photographer who does a, a bird, uh, exclusively uh, bird photography workshops. And, uh, you know, his affiliate, because people come on his workshops and they buy, you know, long lenses for $6,000, $8,000 or whatever, he gets commission on This guy makes a lot of money on, on these, uh, on these affiliate programs. So that's just one way to uh, to make money while you're sleeping. So you can wake up every day and and actually check. <laughs> actually on Amazon you can, you can't. Uh, the other programs uh, uh, like like Adorama uh, and Topaz, you get like a monthly statement or something like that. Ebooks is another way. Uh, you guys all, you guys all give presentations, right? Do you give keynote presentations or a PowerPoint or what? A mix. I've done presentations. Typically, a mix, I haven't done any yeah. keynotes, but I have given, yeah, presentation Zoom. You're giving presentations. You no, know, I mean, what program are you? Apple? Like, use Keynote or, or, uh, or, oh, PowerPoint. Okay, so you use PowerPoint. You can do the same thing. I use Keynote. So what I do is I give, uh, what I've done in the past. I'll give a presentation, right? I actually I did this after I after I gave my presentation at the Nampa Summit, right, which was on uh, you know wildlife photography. I have my keynote presentation, and I have little word you know little cues on the bottom like you know watch the horizon line, you know focus on the eyes. So after the presentation, what I did is I added a few more words, I exported it as a PDF, and I sell it as an ebook, right. So it's not a typical ebook like you'd see, like getting back to Denise Cipollito. She has all these beautiful, you know, layouts and stuff like that. It's it's a PDF of a of a of a slideshow, but this is a very easy way, and you put it up on your website and you sell it for five bucks or ten bucks. That's interesting. So simple, such a simple idea, but it yeah. Well, it works. Every, every and, and they're packed full of information. Yeah, and, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners give presentations, whether it's nationally and national events like the one you mentioned coming up, or to a local camera club. And you know, do it, and then if, if for a local club, do it, and then at the end say, or at the beginning say, hey, you know what? You don't have to take notes for five bucks or ten bucks. You could you could order the ebook or give it away for free, and then. When you're giving it away for free, have other stuff that people can buy. I'm thinking business all the time. You have to. You have to in this in photography. Well, you do. And uh, Art Wolf is in a, getting back to my friend Art Wolf. He's an he's an excellent business person. An excellent business person. And to the point where you can have teams of people working for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, I'm so hyper. No one could work for me. Someone tried to work for me once, and that was the end. The only one who can work with me is uh, my wife. Of uh, 47 years last week, so, yeah. yeah. Happy anniversary. And we never had a fight. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
But you know what? Getting back to that, I'm sure there's a lot of people who listening who work with their spouse. And my advice there would be divide responsibilities. Like Susan handles uh, the books, you know, a lot of the finances, all that stuff. She shields me from the taxes and, uh, and uh, some of the expenses. And, and I do my thing. And that way, you know, we overlap a little. I I have her proofread all my books, my keynote shows, my my Kelby One classes, whatever. But I think dividing responsibilities is a good idea. It's good to have somebody that can help you and support you that way. Uh, yes, for sure. For sure. Do you guys have other questions, Ron, Jason? No, I'm, I've just been sitting back listening. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there's going to be an e-book on this because I have been taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, yes, there is. Well, <laughs> right. there could be. I'm, oh, I have. I, you know what? If Since we're uh, – I'm looking at my salmonisms here. here. Here's a good one that sounds funny, uh, but it's a good one. Shower with your tripod. And here's what I mean by that. And you want to do this alone, by the way. Definitely want to do this alone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I go to the Oregon coast and I'm shooting, you know, I have my tripod often, you know, set up in the sand, right? And so the sand is, you know, might get in the joints, even though I open the small legs first. So the, you know, the, the, the first joints are out of the sand, but there's sand blowing around or is in Death Valley, there's sand everywhere, right? So, and there's salt spray. So at the end of the day, if you don't clean your tripod really well, you know, the, that sand in there could get stuck. And I've seen people on more than one workshops try to unscrew, you know, the joints there and it comes apart and the bushing comes out and they can't get it back together. So the simplest thing is to shower with your tripod alone. And but yet you really have, getting back to keeping it clean. You don't you don't want that salt spray to and the sand to, to get in those joints because it could really, uh, really mess it up. I have done that after showered with your tripod. The, no, not showered, but I have left it in the shower overnight <laughs> yeah. where I if I'm in, you know, if I'm out photographing on a beach or yeah, yeah it's usually a beach with salt water and sand or, or sand dunes. Yep, that's the first thing I do. Hose that down in the shower and let it sit there overnight and dry. One more serious. I always say look at levels. Again, I, I mentioned that I use Photoshop more than Lightroom. The first thing I check when I open a picture is to look at the levels. And if there's a gap on the right and the gap on the left, it means the whites aren't white and the blacks aren't black. So the first thing I do is adjust the levels. And after I do that, then I get to work on everything else. And the last thing I do is sharpen. Uh, if a picture needs sharpening, mostly most raw files need some kind of sharpening. But you know, increasing the contrast can increase uh, sharpening. Increasing saturation might increase uh, sharpening. And playing with curves might increase sharpening. So I always say sharpen last for sure. You have one that I'm looking at that says the camera looks both ways. Uh, adapted from the camera points both ways. Yeah, yeah, that that that's the Freeman Patterson thing. Yeah, we talked about that uh, briefly. That it, you, your pictures are really a mirror, right? If uh, uh, of of yourself, and uh, when you when I'm photographing a person, I'm thinking about that my mood, my feeling, my emotion, my body language is is affecting how that person's going to react and look in the picture. That's really important. Um, but it's also, again, getting back to the picture behind Jason, it, it, your pictures are a reflection of your personality. You know, I know a lot of people who are landscape photographers, and all I see is landscape pictures. So I know maybe they like to be, you know, like alone. Uh, I like people pictures so people could see that, you know, I love people. I love being around people. I love photographing people. So, um yeah, I think that's important to remember that the pictures that we put up there are definitely a reflection of our, of our personality and what we like. That's interesting that you that that's your the the background on that on that salmonism. Mm -hmm. I was as I was reading it, it was almost of look and almost look in every direction. So you might be looking forward, but don't forget to look what's behind you or what might be above you or on the ground. Well, that could be the camera looks always, which is which is true too. Always look back and always look down and always look up and go where you're looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, I think this has been phenomenal to have a chance to get to chat with you. And thank you very much for joining us today. 
Um, as, as we mentioned, that this is a podcast for NAMPA members as well as anybody that is not a NAMPA member. Um, if you are interested in getting more episodes of the Nature Photographer podcast, definitely re- uh, download and subscribe to the Wild and Exposed podcast. You will get all of the Nature Photographer podcasts as well as their episodes, which are also chock full of fun stories, interesting interviews, and lots of tales of their adventures out in the field. So if you're interested in learning more about Nampa, go to nampa.org. And Rick, why don't you give us some places where people can find your information? Well, everything. Thank you uh, again for having me. It's been a ton of fun. I love all you guys. The camera, the the uh, the, uh, the computer camera looks both ways too. So you guys make me feel really easy <laughs> and comfortable. But it's just Rick Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N. Not like the salmon, S-A-L-M, that Art Wolf photographs and his amazing pictures of those salmon. It's just ricksalmon.com. Everything's there. All the links to, to all the other good stuff. Very good. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Nature Photographer Podcast. Catch us again next month, and we will see you then. Thanks. Thanks.